Father, speak to us through your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to be in the book of 2 Chronicles this morning. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. We'll be looking a little bit at chapter 6, but we're going to mostly be in chapter 7. So turn with me. No, we didn't do the offering. We'll do that after the sermon. So have a seat, Larry. Take a load off for a minute. We will, we will get to the offering shortly. Communication is a two-way street. There's not just one way. It's not just somebody talking. And, and it's not even just somebody talking and somebody listening. Communication is actually quite complex. And if you take a class or you, or you study the subject of communication, you'll find uh, uh, that it is incredibly complicated. So you have one person who is transmitting a message. It's, it, there's always a message in communication, and one person is, is transmitting a message to another person. And they don't just use the words that they say. They use their vocal term, tones, the pitch and the speed at which they speak, the rhythm. Uh, they use facial expressions. They use hand gestures and body language that all sends this message and not only is this person sending the message, there's somebody else that's receiving the message. And they have to go through the hardship of interpreting all of this different information. They got to know what the words mean and how what the words in a certain order mean. And sometimes words don't mean what you think they mean. Knee high to a grasshopper does not literally mean that somebody's as small as up to the knee of a grasshopper. Because I, I don't know, do grasshoppers even have knees? But we know what it means, right? Because you learn the language. But not only do you learn the language, you got to understand the facial expressions. Are they angry? Are they mad? Are they jealous? Are they happy? Are they being sarcastic? Or do they actually mean what they're saying? The vocal tones and the nonverbal, like all of that. you got to take all that in and interpret it and figure out what the person is trying to say. And not only that, but then you start giving feedback nodding your head or you give a kind of a puzzled look or you're wide-eyed or you fold your arms you stick your nose up in the air all of those things that's all part of communication and that's just that's just one direction of it i'm not even talking about yet when that other person responds and this whole process starts over again just in the opposite direction no wonder we often get communication wrong huh <laughs> It's incredibly complicated, but it's a two-way street. We know this from example, just from experience in life. We know. You can't communicate if only one person's talking. Thank you so much. There's a communication right there. She's hearing my voice crack up, and she says, I, I, I got to solve this. She's a very good wife. There's a communication that we have with God. It's called prayer. And just like normal communication with another human being is a two-way street, so is communicating with God. Prayer is a two-way street. It's not just us listing all of our wants and desires and wishes, all of our requests to God, and then leaving. At least it, it, it's not supposed to be. It's not just God telling us what we're doing wrong and how we need to fix it. Communication is a two-way street. It's, it's hearing from God and speaking to God. Just a second ago when we were praying for our country, were you listening? Were you talking? 
Sometimes prayer is a whole lot more listening than talking, isn't it? Sometimes there are just no words. All you can do is grunt or groan. Sometimes prayer is a lot of words. And it's a lot of talking and a lot of, a lot of expressing to God. And, and God just moves your heart along the way and says, says, not quite that, more this. And before you know it, a prayer that starts one way ends up totally different because God has moved you along the way. We've been talking about revival. And we've discussed that revival comes when, and I would add only when, we see God in humbled repentance, when we humbly confess and repent of our sins, and when we seek Him giving His word priority. There's a third necessary component, though, if we're going to see revival. It's our third rule. Revival comes when God's people seek Him in earnest prayer. If you really want to see the Spirit of God move, it's only going to happen when His people are praying from the depths of their hearts, from the depths of his heart. Second Chronicles 7 gives us a great example. So Second Chronicles, uh, uh, Solomon has become king and he is exercising, uh, beginning to exercise his dominion over Israel. And one of the first things that he sets out to do is to build the temple of God. David has this heart for building God's temple and God says, no, it's not you. It's going to be my son that's going to build it. So David does everything up to the point of starting construction. He gathers the materials. He gets promises from other kings. He is, he is working on get, getting all the labor set so that as soon as Solomon begins, all he's got to do is put the plan into action. The blueprints are made up. Everything's already ready. The materials are already prepared. All he's got to do is build. And so what he does is he builds. And after building it, they have a great big service. They, it's so big. They've got tons of extra altars set up because they're going to offer so many sacrifices. They've got a platform specially built. So last week we talked about with, with Ezra uh, up on this platform they specially made to hear the word of God. They've made a special platform to Solomon, for Solomon, not to Solomon, but for Solomon to stand upon as he addresses the people of Israel and he addresses the Israelites and he, and he exhorts them to, he blesses them. He, he, he tells them of how great God is and then he prays. And chapter 6, verse 12, all the way through the end of the chapter is Solomon's prayer. And Solomon is calling down God's favor on this house. He says, I know you could, the, all of the heavens cannot contain you, much less this house I built. But Lord, be in your house. Lord, Lord, anoint this house. God, when we pray in this house, answer our prayers. Father, when there's pestilence, when there's famine, when there's danger, when there's exile, when all these things happen, when, when terrible things happen, when we're defeated before our enemies, when all of these bad circumstances happen, hear the prayers of your people in this place or toward this place when they can't be here. God, hear their prayers and answer us from heaven. And then in chapter 7, as soon as Solomon finishes his prayer, God responds, 
Fire from heaven falls. The burnt offering and the sacrifices are consumed. God's glory fills the temple, so much so that the priests can't even go in to do what they're supposed to do because God's glory is so heavy upon the place. And then that night, when, when, when all of the events of the day have died down and Solomon is back in his chamber, God speaks directly to the king. And we all know verse 14. Verse 14 is like, I mean, I said Second Chronicles 7. You probably immediately went to 14, right? Because something like this, it's my people. You know what? Before we even get there, I want you to notice something. Look at the very first word of this verse. Do you notice it's not capitalized? The sentence doesn't begin in verse 14. It begins in verse 13. It's a verse we don't often talk about. Probably because it's not a very good verse to think about. But you know, if we're going to know what God has said, at least let's pick up at the beginning of the sentence. So, so look at verse 13. Let's go back to 13. Let's see how the sentence begins. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. Uh-oh. No wonder we leave out verse 13. That sounds bad. Revival, though, often starts right here. You see, sometimes God causes us to face difficulties. Sometimes God actually causes us to face difficulties. We think that when things are hard, that, that this is Satan fighting against us. We think that when things are hard, that it's automatically a sign that we're not doing it right. We look for God's voice, and, and we want God to line up everything so that it's perfectly easy to follow His will. But sometimes God forces us to face hardships. Look at it. In fact, some of those prayers that Solomon prayed, some of those things that he prayed for specifically in chapter 6 go directly to this. If, uh, uh, excuse me, when heaven is shut up, verse 26, and there is no rain because they have sinned against you. Verse 18, or 28, excuse me. If there is famine in the land, if there is pestilence or blight or mildew or locust or caterpillar, if their enemies besiege them in the land at their gates, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is. And both times, of course, he's asking God to hear their prayers and to bring blessing and healing. But you know, there's something interesting about these difficulties. Pull, pull verse 13 back up. First of all, they're all out of our control. Drought, no rain, not something we can deal with. Now, I know there are conspiracies out there that the government has a weather machine and they can make it rain or make it not rain at will. Y'all, we can't, we can't control weather. Or command the locust. Anybody ever, anybody ever cause a locust plague? Anybody ever stop a locust plague? Yeah. Out of our control. Or send pestilence. How many of you, who, who made the pestilence? Raise your hand. No. We don't do that, do we? They're all out of our control. We can't do anything to prevent them. We can't do anything to lessen them. We can't do anything to avoid them. They are completely and totally beyond us. But they're all within God's plan. Look, look at those words that are underlined and bolded. Those are all action. When I shut up, when I command, when I sin, God's actually doing it. 
It's not just that God's allowing it to happen. It's not that God is just sidestepping and saying, well, you know, Satan, you can do whatever you want to him. That was the story in Job. That's not the story here. The story here is God is actually shutting the heavens, commanding the locusts, sending the plagues and pestilences. God's doing it. Now you think, how could a good God do something so mean, so terrible to his people? Well, it's because of their sins. These things may be beyond our control, but we've asked for it. It's like calling a pizza place and ordering some pizzas and then they deliver it to your door. You asked for it, so they brought it to you. Now, sometimes the pizza place gets it wrong. No, I ordered, I ordered pepperoni and you brought me sausage or whatever. We're just men. We mess up. But each of these is for their sins. You see, sometimes the only way we deal with our sins is if we have to. It's easy. It's easy to turn over the big, heavy things that we can't control to God. The things that we look at and we say, oh, that's way beyond me. That's above my pay grade. How much harder is it, though, to give up those little things that we really like that aren't good for us? If, if you ever doubt that, just go on a diet and you will find just how easy it is to be tempted by the little things that you like that aren't good for you. Just as... The pizza delivery at your house is a direct result of you calling and ordering the pizza. The punishment that God sends is a direct result of our sins. If God left that sentence off there, that would be a horrific verse, wouldn't it? But he doesn't leave it off there. That brings us to point number two. Even in those difficulties, it is never too late to turn back to God. Even in the midst of difficulties that you cause because of your sin, it is still not too late for you to turn back to God. Verse 14 shows this well. So the sentence begins, when I do all these things and they're all results of your sin and they're all beyond your control, but they're all part of my plan. When I do these things, if you, if my people, what does that turning back to God look like? It's right here in the verse. If my people who are called by my name, it begins by recognizing our heritage. We are, God's, we are God's people. We are called by his name. And being called by a name is more than just having the same name. It's being his. It's belonging to him. If my people who are called by my name, the ones who bear my name and who aren't supposed to bear my name in vain, by the way, if we start there, that we're God's people. We recognize our heritage. We recognize our Father. We know who He is. And that leads us to humble ourselves and then to seek God and pray and seek my face. I think the prayer is part of the seeking and turn from their wicked ways. You see the progression? Knowing who we are, humbling ourselves. That's really putting ourselves where we belong, isn't it? Seeking God turning from our wicked ways. You want to know what earnest prayer looks like? That's what it looks like. That's earnest prayer. That's not just a, a, a prayer you memorize because your Sunday school teacher made you say it every Sunday. That's not just something you do uh, day after day, week after week, because you, you're just supposed to do it. That, that's more than just words. That's what real prayer is supposed to be. 
And it's in the midst of punishment for sin. It's when your back is flat and you got nowhere to look but up. You've hit rock bottom. And so you turn to God and say, I'm a sinner. You are so good, but I am not. God help me. That's, that's the kind of prayer that will bring revival. And the good news is, it does bring revival. Look at the second part of verse 14. Actually, before you do that, before you go there, let, let, let's, let's make this third point. When we seek God with all our hearts, we will find Him. You see, God's promise is that when you seek Him, you will find Him. God is not trying to hide from you. It's like Easter eggs. When, when little ones are hunting for Easter eggs, you don't hide them in crazy places. You put them on the ground. You don't even hide them. They're bright colors. It's easy to see because you want them to find the eggs. Now, when you're Miss Farrell and you're doing it for teenagers and there's money in them, you hide them in much more difficult places, right? Why? Because you don't want them to have the money. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. When we do Easter egg hunts, we want them to find the eggs. God wants to be found in the same kind of way. God wants you to find Him. And so all you need to do is seek Him. Earnestly, truthfully, wholeheartedly seek Him. And you will find Him. Don't believe me? Look at Jeremiah 29. These guys are going into exile. This exile that they have been dreading. Now, Nebuchadnezzar has come. He's overtaken the city of Jerusalem and he's taken exiles back to Babylon. And Jeremiah, the prophet, writes a letter to those folks. And he basically tells them, prosper in the land. Build your homes. Give your sons and daughters to each other in marriage. Don't marry others. Keep it, keep it within the faithful people of God. Well, <laughs> at this point, faithless, but they will be faithful again soon. Pray for the health of the communities you go to. Because as they prosper, you'll prosper too. And then he says that famous verse. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Here's what he says right after. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. Now that's pretty good. Keep going. Verse 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. You just search me, search for me with your heart, and you'll find me. And not only will you find me, you will find all of the blessings that I bring with me. God doesn't punish us just to make us suffer. If you are in a state in, in, in your life where you have sinned and God is bearing down on you, it feels like, He's not doing it to make you suffer. He's doing it to refine you, to purify you. He's doing it to bring you closer to Him. That means that His punishments, all those difficulties we find ourselves facing, He's not trying to get rid of us. He's trying to draw us nearer. It's the way that he revives us. When we do, we get to see the end of 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. You hear those promises? I will hear. 
I will forgive. I will heal. When we seek God earnestly with our whole hearts, God promises that we will find him. If that's not a reason to hope for revival in the darkest days, I I don't know what is. Prayer is the way we communicate with God. And it's a two-way street. God's spoken. He's given us his word. He's given us his promises. His part is sure. Now it's time for us to do our part, to communicate with God, with all of our hearts, with all of his heart. Father, you are drawing us nearer to you today. For some of us, it is a place that we have been. We have drawn near to you and we have seen your glory. We have seen your majesty. We have seen your power. And Father, uh, I don't know why we would even dream on being anywhere else. But sometimes we do fall. Sometimes we do fail. Sometimes sometimes we forget about you. And once again, we seek our own pleasures, our own will, our own, our own desires. Father, we come repenting. We come humbled and asking you to forgive us where we fail you and to restore to us the joy of your salvation. For others, for others... They've never drawn close to you. They may have walked an aisle or prayed a prayer. They may have gotten wet in the baptismal, but that's all it was. Performance. If anyone here is like that today, I pray that your spirit would move in them, that you would deal with them. Lord, everything that you're doing will follow you. Lead us. Help us to have communication with you like none other. Thank you for who you are and for even wanting us in the first place. We'll follow you in this invitation time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.